Welcome to First Up, it's Ramere, Friday the 8th of July, just seven days since we had the last one. Coming up, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has finally agreed to step down. Ali J is in London with the latest. We'll hear from the ABC's Gavin Coote, who is in the middle of the rising floodwaters in New South Wales. Plus, we're going to find out how social media chatter led parents yesterday to believe there was a gunman on the loose and that people had been shot at their children's school. My daughter said they were huddled behind their desks and pulled all the blinds down. And she said the only updates they were getting was the kids just jumping on social media and getting all the gossip. And that was freaking them all out. Atamaria, welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere. Boy, howdy, what a week. Uh, a massive week where there's just so much news uh, that uh, all the news hounds around here have just got news falling out their ears. But we begin this morning in the UK, obviously, where Boris Johnson is to step down, but not quite yet. But he said he is, but he's not quite. It's quite hard to put together. So joining us from London is our correspondent, Ali J. Morena, Ali, a lot can happen in 24 hours. How are you doing? Good morning, Nate. I was going to say, it feels like only yesterday we were talking about the fact that Boris Johnson would cling on as long as he possibly could. And, I mean, he's still, he's still kind of clinging on. Hmm. So when I, when I spoke to you yesterday, I think we were saying 36 ministers, MPs, had resigned from their government positions. By midnight last night, the number was at 46 resignations. And we also heard last night that he'd fired Michael Gove. He was the levelling up secretary, also a fellow architect of Brexit. So um, shortly after that news came out that he'd fired him, a parliamentary aide referred to Gove as a snake and said, you can't have a snake in government uh, who's going to go straight to the press and call for you to go, kind of referring to the fact that Gove was one of the first to come out and say he needs to get out of here. So some people were kind of saying that he'd... He was trying to hold on to his his power even through all these resignations. He's trying to say, um, well, look, I still have the power to fire people, so kind of watch out, that sort of thing. Um, and then, I mean, it just it just kept going. So we also heard last night that they um, that Boris would be announcing a new economic policy. He was saying, in the next few days, I'm going to bring out these the with the new chancellor these new tax cuts, all of this kind of thing. Um, and he sent out. He sent out his aide, James Dudridge, last night to talk to press. And James said, said in, a, in a speech last night, he said, oh, yes, the prime minister's feeling buoyant. Um, he's ready for a fight. He's facing the challenges, and he's going to get on with it. So we were also... Um, talking yesterday about this group of MPs, this group of cabinet ministers who had gone into number 10. Uh, At the time, we thought it was telling him it's time to go. We heard a bit later on that actually we had two groups in there, one saying time to go, and the other was saying, what would happen if you did? And this, I mean, this went on for hours. This went on for absolutely hours. And we're not even, I mean... We're racing through it, but we're not even getting to this morning, which was when, when, the, when the sun rose this morning, all the papers were saying it's time to go. Mm. He needs to go. The Northern Ireland Secretary resigned uh, at 7 a.m. The Treasury Secretary resigned five minutes past. Um, Michelle Donnellan, who we were talking about, was the Education Secretary for less than 30 hours. And then she released this statement saying, I've 
I pleaded with him to resign, she said. He didn't, so I'm handing in my resignation now. And half an hour after that, the news broke that um, Boris Johnson was going to go. Wow. I mean, Ellie, I, OK, maybe I'm just paranoid about this because over the pond in the United States, there was uh, a guy who was trying to hang on right to the last minute, seeing bills that he could pass to save people and that. Am I being too over-paranoid when I look and I go, why doesn't he just go? Why is he still trying to form a cabinet, even though he said, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. I'm just putting a cabinet together. So this is the thing. I mean, he, he came out to the podium in front of the door of number 10 and said, um, I'm going to be stepping down. But even in that speech, he was still kind of saying, I've been elected by the people. I, I have a mandate to do these things. But um, the phrase he used was, them's the breaks. He said, um, it's, it's an eccentric decision to change the government by his colleagues. He was kind of almost framing it to say, look, I would carry on, but um, these these people in Westminster are, are, are ganging up against me and they're saying I've got to go. So what he's saying is, though, until they make a decision, so he's resigned as Conservative Party leader, hmm. he is allowed to carry on as Prime Minister for a bit. Um, and he's saying, I'll do that until there's a new election of a Conservative Party leader. So they're saying it could take kind of till autumn. Um, during the day today, I mean, so many people are saying this This we don't support this. This can't be. Mm. Um, this can't be what's happening. And as you're saying, about an hour or so ago, he called in this new cabinet. He he told them all to keep ploughing on. Um, he said, it's not for me to do a major change of direction. And he's also promised as well um, that he won't bring in any new big policies in this in this time. He's saying he's going to be sort of a caretaker. Um, but the problem is because there's so many resignations of um, senior and junior cabinet members and junior um, government roles, there's, there are, there's legislation that needs to go through, there's policy that needs to be put in place, and there's just not the people to do it. So right. it's almost like um, he's saying, I'll stay and we've got to fill these roles, we've got so many roles going, um, but I won't bring in anything new. Whether or not that applies to the um, economic policy he announced just a couple of hours ago, we're still kind of waiting to see. But yeah. a lot of people from his own party, former um, PM John Major has said he needs to go now, and the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, as well, is saying almost, this is ridiculous, he's, he's got to go. So we'll see, we will see what happens. Well, look, we'll speak to you next week, and I'm sure it'll be uh, amazing what has happened, but thank you very much for that. That's Ali J uh, coming out of London. Yes, uh, Boris Johnson stepping down as Conservative Party leader. It's 12 past five. You are listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radu. So I'm keen for your feedback. So yesterday what happened on the North Shore of Auckland uh, was that there was a couple of police call-outs and then social media lit up and that became people thinking um, that people have been shot or, you know, that two were dead in a, in a school. That's where it got to. You're going to hear from one of the parents later on. So uh, have you ever been alerted to anything on social media which did turn out to just be uh, nonsense? But also, uh, what people say you know, with Boris Johnson, that's the best of British. What's the best of British? There you are. What is the best of British or what is the worst of British? Text us 2101 or email us first up at rnz.co.nz. Let's go to the other side of the Atlantic now. The fallout from the 4th of July mass shooting continues. Uh, this Well, the, the one that was in Highland Park, because it 
there were many of them, uh, with that gunman being charged and stories of his run-ins with authorities coming to light. Um, joining me now from the place where Boris Johnson was born, New York City, it's correspondent Bevan Hurley. Kia ora, Bevan, how are you? Kia ora, Nathan, doing well, thank you. Okay, so tell me, um, what is the latest news in the wake of the Highland Park shooting? Yeah, so Robert Cremo appeared in court yesterday charged with uh, seven counts of first-degree murder. Um, Prosecutors have said that he will face dozens more charges uh, in in the days and weeks to come. Um, He has admitted to authorities that he did carry out the attack. Um, He also said that he seriously contemplated committing a second shooting in Madison, Wisconsin, just over the border from Illinois, where Highland Park is situated, um, which is where he fled to after after getting out of the parade dressed in women's clothing and um, grabbing his mother's car. Um, as, as you mentioned, a key focus of the ongoing investigation is two encounters the suspect had with police in 2019. Um, the Highland Park Police Department responded to a uh, suicide call in April 2019. Um, they were told that Cremo had attempted suicide. Um, police spoke with his parents and the matter was uh, handled by mental health professionals at the time. And then in September that year, a relative uh, reported that Cremo had threatened to kill everyone in his household and that he had a collection of knives, including a dagger and a sword. Um, Now, despite all this and the fact that Highland Park Police submitted a clear and present danger report after that visit, he was able to legally purchase the weapons used in Monday's attack, which include military-style semi-automatics and a range of handguns as well that police found at his home. Um, So it just really begs the question, um, how are people who are known to be a risk to themselves and others still legally allowed to obtain uh, these types of uh, weapons of, of, of warfare? Um, serious questions being asked of his parents because his father did indeed help him um, fill out one of the um, forms that was required because he was only 19 at the time that he bought these. Um, and yeah, also, Nathan, uh, just an absolute... Uh, tragic July 4th weekend. We saw Mm. um, multiple mass shootings, dozens of people dead. You had people fleeing from a separate July 4th parade in in, um, Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, quite scary time. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I read the bit about the father too. I mean, he signed a liability waiver, so he he's got to be liable. It's it's his signature on it. It very much should be. Um, it, it also, uh, something that was huge news before the UK happened, <laughs> the news this week and everything else as well. The January sixth hearings, which were quite incredible. So it's been about a week or so since the last ones. When are we going to hear more? So we have another public hearing happening on Tuesday. Um, There hasn't been a great deal released about that, uh, but one of the committee members, Adam Schiff, has said that the focus is going to be on the participation of those white nationalist groups who were so instrumental in ransacking the capital. Um, But uh, behind closed doors tomorrow, the the January 6th uh, committee is going to be hearing testimony from Pat Cipollone. So he was the White House counsel under Donald Trump, and it sounds like he was one of the few sane voices in the room. Um, When we heard that bombshell testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson last week, um, she uh, told us that, uh, well, she relayed conversations she was having to Cipollone, in which he said uh, to her that we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if this march is allowed to 
um, reach the capital and, you know, sort of perpetrate violence. Um, others have testified that Cipollone was one of the main White House officials opposed to attempts by Trump and his allies to overturn the results of the 2020 election. So getting him in front of a public hearing, I think, will be really crucial. Um, just briefly, I've also heard that um, there's a criminal investigation going on in Georgia uh, related to that infamous call that Donald Trump made where he asked elected officials down there to find votes for him. So a grand jury there has requested um, key figures in that effort, including Rudy Giuliani and the South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham to appear before them. So that will be a really interesting one to watch. It will. Bevan Hurley, thank you very much for your time. That is the latest from the United States. If you're listening to us live, it is 5.17. Here at First Up on RNZ National, uh, fresh fighting has broken out between the forces of the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwandan rebels, and inflation hitting hard throughout the continent of Africa, forcing one government to introduce a gold coin. Joining me now from Mali is our correspondent, Nabil Ahmed. It's always a pleasure to say morning, Nabil. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. Can you start? Let's tell us about this Nigerian jailbreak. Tell me about this. Yes, Yes, Nathan. Uh, We are learning that at least 600 uh, inmates have actually escaped from the uh, Nigerian prison now, it happened when some uh, ex- Islamic extremists or rebels attacked the prison, and that led to uh, the, pe- the inmates in the prison to escape. Um, we've just been uh, understanding that some two, uh, 300 uh, escapees have now either re- been recaptured or they've retained themselves in some other police stations uh, in the capital of Nigeria, Abuja. Now, um, this particular jailbreak has really incensed a lot of people in the capital, Abuja, uh, because of these activities by um, bandits in the uh, uh, country. And uh, Nigeria's Ministry of Interior has said that uh, this particular attack happened when there was an explosion and gunfire targeting the uh, uh, prison in the capital, Abuja. And now that 300 have, I mean, STPs have returned, they are looking out for the other 300 who are still, I mean, uh, out, I mean, of of the prison, yeah. So um, let's move now to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, it's always horrible to see this, but fresh clashes have broken out between the army and the rebels from the M23 group. Can Can you explain me, explain that to me? Yes, this just happened just a day after the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo's president and the Rwandan president, Paul Gagami, met uh, in Angola and agreed to de-escalate tensions um, in, in DRC. Uh, we know that the M23 rebel group have been operating in DRC for a while now, and they actually linked to uh, Rwanda, and efforts have been made over the years to try to stop their activity. So the meeting between the two presidents, DRC, I mean DR Congo, and then Rwanda was to broker some peace and to really tackle the situation head on. But just after a day after these talks, um, we understand that there's clashes again, I mean, in DRC. And it's caused a lot of, I mean, anxiety among the people in DRC, Nathan. And just finally, uh, Nabil, um, inflation is is quite big everywhere in the world, but in Zimbabwe, it's got so bad they've introduced a gold coin. Can you tell me about that? (laughs) Yes, so um, Nathan, just imagine going to buy groceries in the market and you just have to exchange the grocery with gold coin. And that's what Zimbabwe is looking to do uh, because the central bank says it will start issuing gold coins as a legal tender 
I mean, later this month, uh, as the country tries to battle, I mean, inflation. Uh, we know that uh, this has become very, very necessary because inflation has more than doubled just last month to 191%. And this is very, very staggering. And this actually has brought back memories of the hyperinflation of the year 2000s uh, that saw Zimbabwean dollar being redominated three times. And the local currency was later abandoned in 2009. So all efforts are being made to try to uh, tackle the inflation situation in Zimbabwe, which is one of the worst in the world, uh, later. 191%. Wow. Thank you very much, Nabil Ahmed, who joins us out of Mali. They are standing in the rear. Yes, he's held his position in the first up cabinet. He's still the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena Glenn, how are you? Morena, nice and very well, sir. Yourself? I'm good. It's always exciting when we get an email from Glenn. So Glenn said, uh, we're going to talk this week about celeriac. And I, and I was... I figured when I read it, I was trying to figure out what celeriac was. I figured it's either a brand of camping gear, someone who's allergic to oat milk, or maybe an expensive crockery that's microwave safe. What What is what is celeriac? Oh, my, seriously, who would have thought we would open a program with celeriac? But there is a lot more to this root vegetable than meets the eye. We talked to, with Jay Clark yesterday, Woodhaven Gardens. They grow magnificent celeriac, and it's one of the most versatile and nutritional vegetables you'd never think of buying. Have you actually tried it, Nathan? I'm just, not yet. I could. Well, it, it was hard to find. Yeah, it, it's difficult to find. Jay calls it an underrated vegetable that stores well in the fridge and will last for weeks. Eat in winter as it bolts in spring and gets woody and unappetizing. Now, with a taste somewhere between celery and parsnip, it's great roasted or grated into a salad and eaten raw. It is a vegetable you would need to peel though, so top and tail it and use in a knife. That will be easier. Other ways to enjoy, as of you know, as of one of the ingredients, use in soups part of a mash and in celeriac pasta recipes. I mean, the flavour it brings these dishes, dishes will blow you away. My favourite is potato hash browns with celeriac and onion in the mix. Totally scrumptious. Search up sage and celeriac hash browns. Now back to its nutrition, however, how's this for a mouthful? Packed with fibre and vitamins B6, C and K, it's also a good source of antioxidants and important minerals such as phosphorus, potassium and manganese. So yeah, look out for it, Nathan, and give it a crack. I will actually. Okay, um, also, look, we're having a struggle to to find much going around uh, any more than the hardiest of brassicas this week, is that right? Yeah, vegetables choices are limited, money is tight, but some of your most solid picks at the markets late this week are Coomera, this is becoming a winter star this year, carrots, beetroot, pumpkin, parsnips, onions, and try some shiitake mushrooms for something different in the fungi world. Some of the cauliflower incredibly good looking, just not overly large as all. However, three greens we've identified as still in good supply as the coldness bites are leeks, silver beet, and broccoli. You get a whole lot of vegetable in a silver beet bag too when it springs out of there like a jack-in-the-box. And broccoli down here this week, we're still paying $3 a head, which is not that hideous. Broccoli is another vegetable packed with nutrients. Um, Steaming it rather than submerging it in water is best. It's tasty when roasted and lightly seasoned afterwards also, or you can add it to soups or chop it finely and add it into further into, into your fritter recipe. And um, with, with being so expensive, slice broccoli stems and strips instead and, and cook these. Give the stem a quick peel if you wish, but do discard the very bottom of the trunk. Okay, fruit. What's happening with fruit? 
Uh, fruit, couldn't believe it, but saw some Western Australian strawberries at the Auckland market yesterday. Probably the only area not underwater over there at the moment. <laughs> However, if we had $20 to spend on fresh fruit, we wouldn't buy two chips of imported strawberries. Limes and mandarins have gone past their peak supply, and lemons and oranges are taking over the baton. Some very glamorous new season Mexican green seedless grapes have arrived called Prime Seedless. Also from Mexico, if you're lucky enough to find these, some Atolfo mangoes, a sweet parrot mango with a yellow skin. And was told get eaten just as they wrinkle. Uh, now, fruit of the week. Hang on, wait, 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 wait. Hi, Glenn. How are you? What's your fruit of the week? Apples. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, now, look, we couldn't go through winter without nominating apples as we are right bang smack in the middle of the season. Caught up with Aaron from Yummy and school holidays next week, so a great opportunity to bake with apples with the kids, making dishes like apple crumble and apple cake using the lovely Granny Smith variety. He also said jazz are in good supply, but sweet tango are getting short. And if you like ambrosia, check out the recipe ambrosia apple donuts on their website, yummyfruit.co.nz. They are not what you think, so a little bit of mystery there for you. Oh, you got me, Glenn. Thank you very much. Ambrosia apple donut. Yes! Yes, New Zealand. Uh, there he is, the Minister of Fruit and Veg. Remember to uh, try some of that celeriac. Celeriac. Give it a go. All right. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's the day of our life that we like to call the 8th of July in 1996. Zigga zigga. The Spice Girls released their debut single called Wannabe. And you're going, oh, who heard that? Well, everyone, apparently. It was number one in 37 countries. Uh, their debut album sold more than 23 million copies worldwide, becoming the best-selling album by a female group in history. So don't try and pretend you didn't know who they were. Uh, Beck, amazing. Uh, he's 52. Singer-songwriter, Odalea, I still think it's the best album. Jeffrey uh, Tambor, wonderful actor from Larry Sanders and Arrested Development and others. He's 78. And here's one for you. Kevin Bacon, 64. Yeah, on this day. Also, I thought an interesting birthday today was John Stith Pemberton, who was the inventor of Coca-Cola. So he came up with it because he was trying to find himself an opium-free pain relief to alleviate his addiction to morphine that he had. Um, and he, st- that he got uh, injured in the Civil War in America, so that's his wounds, and he took a lot of morphine, tried to get rid of that. He came up with a thing called French wine coca, which is Peruvian coca, wine, and cola nut. But then uh, Atlanta passed prohibition, so he had to take the, the alcohol out of it, and uh, he had some syrup he, he substituted into it and called it Coca-Cola, and by accident spilt it in with some carbonated water, and the rest is history, and he was nearly bankrupt and suffering health issues towards the end, so he sold the rights to Coca-Cola shortly before he died. He'd wanted to retain a share of ownership to leave to his son, but his son said, nah, give me the money now. So, um, yeah, there were no more Pembertons left in the Coca-Cola timeline, but that is um, the day of our life that we like to call the 8th of July. The best things in life are free. Can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Joining us now from our business team is Nicholas Poynton. Kia ora, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. I'm just in a daze there thinking about Coca-Cola and if my father had handed me a stake <laughs> in the company, <laughs> what would I have done? I feel like I'm 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 the type of person who would be like, oh no, just give me the money. Yeah, give me the 200 bucks. Take sort of vision to <laughs> sort of believe in it, right? To be like, you know what? I believe in this. I'm going to wait for the money in the future. Well, but they would have said, you could have been so rich. I know, but look at this hat that I bought. <laughs> this makes it all worthwhile. Um, things to buy. This one I thought was interesting. Uh, if you can't afford a house, just go for a business. 
Yeah, this is, look, this is a story we've had before. There's a small business brokerage firm based up here in Auckland called ABC Business Sales. Yeah. They're very creative with their PR and marketing. I always have to tip my hat to them. They come up with interesting ways to try and get their business in the news. But last year they ran this a similar story along this lines about, oh my God, people crying about how hard it is to get into the housing market. Have we got an idea for you? Yeah. Buy a business instead. But look, they've come back to us again, peddling a similar line, but they've got more figures to, see, to essentially to back up their case. What are they, what they're saying? is that the average house price in New Zealand, bear in mind that's the average, um, so it could be skewed by, you know, five, seven million dollar houses in Remuera and Parnell, but the average uh, house price in New Zealand is $1.053 million. That was at uh, in January 2022. Hmm. The average return over that period on that house was about 4%, $42,000. But it you look at the price of a small business, the average small business, $700,000, average return, $214,000, that's a return of 29%. So in their minds, this just makes this makes basic sense. But you've got to ask yourself, I think about myself, I may report on businesses, yeah. I wouldn't know the first thing about running one. Yeah. And so there's a lot more risk with, with buying a business. And ABC Business Sales, they say, well, yeah, look, you're probably right. But, you know, you can pay people to do that work for you, but that's still quite expensive. But they say that even though it is more risky, if you look at the risk premium, you're getting the return on a, on a small business over the six-month period that they've calculated is six times better than the return you'd get on a house. So right. they're saying that, yeah, it's riskier, but, man, when you look at the possible gains you can be making, to them it makes sense. I'm not. I'm not necessarily suggesting that people go out there and buy a small business. I do like looking at, well, on I mean, their I'm, website I'm at the ha- creative I know, things that's what I'm doing. that they do happen to sell because it's an interesting sign of maybe what's what what is coming to market. And speaking to ABC in the past, they say that a lot of baby boomers have taken have taken the opportunity of COVID or coming out of it to retire, to sell the business, to get out of it. Uh, COVID was an, was an incredibly stressful period. Now they're at a point in their lives when they want to put their feet, feet up. But look, you've been having a bit of a I cruise on the website. There's a highly profitable pizza shop, it says here, 200,000 profit. I'm there. That's not bad. Give me five of them. They've got, they've got interesting businesses of I'll all types shares in, in there. It. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. Cool. Thank you very much. Uh, you can join Nicholas and the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10.27. Your Kiwi dollar is out there doing things. It's impressing other currencies. It'll get you 61.69 US cents, 90.63 Australian cents, 60.76 Euro cents, 51.41 Boris pence, uh, 4.131, 83.88 8 Japanese yen, 38.92 Russian rubles. And in South Africa, it'll get you 10.34 Rand. It is 25 to 6 here at First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Yeah, it's, it's been a bit damp recently, but apparently torrential rain is on the way. Uh, telling us what's in store is Philip Duncan from Weather Watch. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Oh, good morning. I'm very good. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, but it's been a bit damp. Now, is this weather that I'm hearing coming, is this the same weather system that's brought all those floods to New South Wales? It's connected to it, yes, it is. And I've got to say, when you look at the rain radar this morning, it's the land of the long rain cloud. It's uh, <laughs> raining from Northland to Southland, and that's not something that you see very often, where the whole country's basically got a rain band moving across it uh, as we go through Friday morning. 
Wow. Um, tell us, like you said, lots going on, some heavy rain warnings in place around the country, so we're all getting it. But where are you, right now, as far as you can tell, where's going to see the worst of this? So this is a um, complicated setup for the next few days, just like what Australia's had. They had all that rain that moved down the east coast. Uh, now New Zealand's got rain all the way down the country from this really um, developing large low. Now this low moves in this weekend, then it splits in half. And one half of it disappears off past the Chathams and into the Southern Ocean. And the other part stays over in the Tasman Sea and reforms on Monday as another rainmaker. So we've got this sort of complicated setup. And in between these two rainmakers, we've got a wintry southerly coming in for the lower South Island this weekend. There'll be snow flurries here and there. Uh, down to a few hundred metres even in Southland and parts of Canterbury. Uh, More so up in the areas where you would expect them. It's not likely to be uh, in the main centres for the most part, but it's a wintry change at the south, while really it'll be mild in the north. And then next week we get that next rainmaker, followed by another third rainmaker by the time we get to the end of next week. So this is all caught up with what New South Wales and uh, parts of Queensland have had, but also we're getting our own version of it once it reaches us. I mean, I'm so spoilt after that long, hot summer that we had, but I'm sick of this already. Um, how, how long does it last? You know, I'm loving this rain. Because <laughs> the upper North Island has had five years, half a decade of a rainfall deficit. Yeah. So actually seeing these rainmakers coming back through again is one of the most normal things we've seen in a long time, even if it is a bit too much of a good thing at once. So yeah, <laughs> we've, we've got a lot of it coming through at the moment. I still think we'll get some high pressure coming back into the mix later on into the month. Oh, goodness. Philip, thank you very much for your time. Find out uh, all the info there from uh, Philip Duncan from Weatherwatch. Barry Guy is uh, captaining the sports desk this morning. Kia ora, Barry. How are you? Morena. Rainmaker. I like that. It yeah, sounds like, like um, a god or something. My the power of one, I think, yeah. of, of Bryce Courtney. Yeah. My daughter, uh, daughter took me to uh, the new Thor movie last night. So I'm going tonight. Make... Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good. Um, I did see the, uh, the third one. Um, yeah. My daughter told me there were th- four now. Um, but I struggled to remember it all, and I was very annoying having to go, what's, uh, so what's that, that name? Who's that one? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, very good, though. And that same daughter's heading back to uh, Dunedin today to go and watch the uh, rugby test. Oh, um, brilliant. Fortunately, it's, um, you know, it's under the roof, isn't it? Which, yeah, it uh, is. which will be nice. So, um, yep, I've told her to enjoy it. Uh, Save your drinking until afterwards, and um, uh, have a good one. Yeah, I, I, I think the All Blacks, um, well, could test for them again to see if they can um, keep up to that standard they showed in the first test, really. So um, yeah. I'll be interested to see how it goes. I, I'm uh, I'm cheerleading here for a player on the reserve bench. Come on down, fellow Fakatava, who's right. uh, Hastings Boys High School old boy. Uh, keener to you, sir. I first saw him playing as a 15-year-old, and he was running around on the field, and he was amazing. Him and Lincoln McClutchy were the 19 for them, and the parents from the other school came over and said, who are they? Uh, and, uh, yeah, there was a greatness you could already see there. But you, you reckon that the All Blacks will, can, can do it again with Ireland, that they're not going to, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's the test, isn't it? Um, normally, uh, in a series like this, you get... You get um, one where the All Blacks completely dominate, but quite often that's the third test, and we had it in the first test. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be one that's uh, particularly close. This could be this one. 
um, and one where they they just come through or the other side yeah. wins. So, My um, sneaky MVP for last week was George Bauer. I've never seen anyone do that to Tyg Furlong, scrum after scrum after scrum. It was amazing. Finally, um, Wimbledon, I yep. feel like it's that party you show up to and they're always playing meatloaf bat out of hell. It's the same people all the time in the men's drawer. Uh, well, except for Nick Kyrgios. Jokovic Nadal there. Yeah, that's why yeah. it's nice to have to have Kyrgios in there at least, if, even if he is quite polarising. Yeah, well, you know, I... Yeah, he has. He's he's flawed somewhat, but you know, on the tennis court, I think he's great, and it's good to have someone uh, newish there. Um, and I watched that uh, Nadal Fritz game yesterday, particularly good. It just goes to show those last two sets with Nadal, it was all just mental. That just got him through. You know, he's got that toughness that because um, he his team told him to quit in the second set because of that abdominal strain, but he he came through. So uh, he trained today, Nadal, uh, which is a good sign. And so um, yeah, looking forward to that. Mm, that uh, Kyrgios, we got um, Rybakina, uh, the uh, she Kazakhstan, and she's going to say uh, play on Shabir from Tunisia in the women's final. Um, Shabir is the yeah. first African and Arab to make a Grand Slam final. Oh. Uh, d- just quickly, um, yes. I see uh, Legacy, the true true story of the LA Lakers, is uh, coming out. Maybe there's a chance for Jerry West to get his side <laughs> of the <laughs> story across. So angry. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, thanks very much, Barry. There the one- is uh, Barry Guy on the sports desk. The professionals of RNZ, of course, are the Morning Report crew, crew chief today. Susie Ferguson, I believe, is with me right now. Kia ora, Susie. Kia ora, how are you? I'm very good. Wow. Boris Johnson land. Quite Boris incredible. Johnson land. Yes, it is incredible. It's it's utterly incredible. And you will not be surprised to know that we are going to be talking about this extensively on Morning Report today, of Completely. course. Boris Johnson resigning, staying on as caretaker, prime minister until September. Maybe. Um, we will have a lot of coverage of this as the UK, the UK is beginning to look for a new leader uh, and that election carry on. Of course, the political turmoil continues. Also back here, hospitalisations from flu, three times higher uh, than the number of COVID cases in the hospitals. We'll hear from Middlemore on that. And of course, down south, Dunedin is humming ahead of that All Blacks Ireland match that is coming our way. It's all coming up. Your way after six o'clock. Thank you very much, Susie Ferguson there uh, with Morning Report. Well, New South Wales fruit growers, they're facing years of recovery after unrelenting floods have forced thousands of people from their homes, some for the fourth time in just uh, a year and a half. The floods were exacerbated by saturated land that was unable to absorb the water after the wettest start to, to the year on record. Dams close to full have been unable to cope. The ABC's Gavin Coote told me he's been in the thick of it. It's looking terrible at the moment. There's basically major flooding all the way along the Hunter River, which is basically this massive river northwest of Sydney. And essentially it's going through the town of Singleton. And it's basically, it's gone to the level higher than seen in the recent floods in March. And that was already a huge event. This is actually the highest level we've seen in about 70 years. So we're talking, you know, huge amounts of water going downstream. And I've just been at farmer's property. We've been having a look around and, oh, it's just a sheer amount of water that going, going over all sorts of prime agricultural land and wiping out machinery and going through sheds and, and even some houses closer to Singleton. So, yeah, it's a pretty devastating situation. And, and further upstream, it's, it's not looking great either. And, and this, is, this comes off the back of a few days of some pretty bad 
flooding around the Sydney Basin as well. It's been quite a lot of property damage around that area as well. So, look, all round, it's been a pretty devastating event and it comes off the back of flooding pretty much all year, whether it's in Sydney or further north. Yeah, Gavin, it's, it's so bizarre to hear that. I mean, obviously, we're the changes here with us right now, isn't it, there? So I'm not very good at my New South Wales geography. So can you tell me, the areas being heavily affected by the flooding now, how far away are they from the previous flooding that has happened this year? It's really interesting. Basically, the areas that have been affected this time are very similar to... You will know about the Lismore floods. Now, that's north of New South Wales. It hasn't occurred, thankfully, around that side this time. But the flooding's been around the Sydney Basin, so mostly around Sydney and northwest of Sydney in what's called the Hunter Valley, which is a big uh, agricultural region, a lot of coal mining and a lot of wine growing as well, very famous wine growing area. So the amount of devastation here is actually kind of almost mirrors what we saw in March, but it's worse. It's it's affecting communities in a different way this time. And essentially, a lot of the areas that were affected in, in Sydney, sort of the, the outskirts of Sydney, seeing a lot more devastating sort of impacts this time around compared to the March event. You've got houses that weren't sort of hit as severely in the March event that are now sort of underwater or it's it's higher up in the house. And some of them were only just getting their insurance paid out or just getting the, the house repaired and it's gone again, gone through again. So it's a, it's a pretty heartbreaking situation. Yeah. What's the state and federal government response been? Oh, they've uh, got some joint disaster recovery funding available for the affected local government areas. And we've had both the Prime Minister and the Premier looking at some of the affected areas in the last couple of days. The Prime Minister was actually in uh, Ukraine for a couple of days and he came back straight off the back of that trip to have a look around. And they've got some grant or disaster relief funding available for flood affected communities and unfortunately the number of local government areas that are sort of eligible for that funding just keeps growing as this flood starts to sort of hit more and more community especially as it goes further downstream as well. Do you know are you past the worst or is there more rain that will be coming? In the immediate moment it appears it's peaked in some bits but it's still raining in parts of the catchment. So it's, it's peaked and at really high levels. And so what happens now is it's going to start to slowly go down in, in many of the parts where I've, I've been travelling. But it's still raining and it could go back up again. And what's really worrying a lot of locals here is it could only take a bit more rain for the, for the water to go back up again for the floodwaters. So a oh, really nervous situation, especially with more rain coming over the next few months with La Nina. So it seems like there's no end in sight to this. Well, there was panic in Auckland's North Shore yesterday when five schools went into lockdown after reports of a gunman on the loose. Takapuna Grammar, Belmont Intermediate, Belmont Primary, Bayswater Primary and Northcote Intermediate all hurried students inside and locked the doors as armed police descended on the area. So officers surrounded a Belmont address for several hours but then withdrew, declaring that it was actually no threat to the public. So the question neighbours are now asking is, was there actually anyone in the house? Uh, And what police say was a separate incident around the same time in nearby Devonport, a car crashed into the back of another vehicle with a man fleeing from the wreckage and being arrested. The incident saw community social media groups and also online comment section awash with opinions and very much unsubstantiated claims. And as you'll hear, these cause more than a little worry for some locals. One of them was Michelle Robson, who has two children at Takapuna Grammar. Yeah, I, I work from home, so I was yeah, happily sitting at home just doing my work at my desk when a 
my son sent through a message on our family WhatsApp page, which we fortunately have, just saying that they've gone into lockdown. You know, I don't really think too much of it. Just said, oh, yep, you having a, a drill or, or is it for real? And there was a bit of silence. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, so, oh, and I've got two kids. I've got a son and a daughter up at the school. So when they said first we're going into lockdown, did you think, oh, it's a COVID lockdown? My husband said exactly that. He thought it was a COVID lockdown. Like, oh, here we go. I have to go pick them all up and we've got them at home for learning. But no, for some reason, I, I didn't. I actually did think either it was a drill hmm. because of what we've seen happening recently, various events you know, out of America and even just the recent stabbing further up Myrony Bayway. Yeah. So I kind of did think, oh, maybe it's something related just to get the kids used to it and just practice it. But it wasn't until my son came back about five minutes later saying, for real, shooter, and then two dead. <laughs> I don't know where that last part of information came from, but I instantly straight back onto the group saying, are you kidding? And then to his sister saying, is he kidding? And then my husband on the phone. And then there was a little bit of delay. And then my daughter came back going, no, he's not kidding. I don't know what's happening, lockdown for real. And that was it. You, you just, wow, that, that, was, that was pretty scary. That was, you instantly think of everything that's just happened in the States and yeah. you just think, really? I said, are you kidding? It was horrifying. It must, have been, it must have been chilling. Like, you know, when people say, yeah. oh, I got chills, you would have actually felt them, right? It was so, oh, instantly felt horrendous. Mm. You just, you feel the tears spring to you and you just think, please just let them be safe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm just not used to that feeling well, at all no. in New Zealand. No, at no, all. No, no, we aren't, are we? So, so you, no. so what happened then is, I, I gather the first thing you do is you go to the internet and go like, this better bloody not be a TikTok trend. Like, is this a real thing? And then once you see that, I mean, you, you would have seen reports around. What did you do? Did you stay home? You go to the school? No, you know? no. Actually, I'm quite lucky because my husband's parents live across the road from the school. Okay. So I just jumped on the phone to them because I don't trust a lot of stuff that I see on social media, and I always take some of what my kids say it like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, a pinch of salt, to be quite honest. There's a bit of drama that sometimes goes on, so I just called them up, but I was pretty frantic, and I said, can you look out your window? Can you see anything? What's going on? And they said, well, they can hear all the alarms going off mm. and the bells, the school bells were going off, and constantly, just constant school bells ringing on, off, on, off. And I said, well, that's it. I'm jumping in the car. I'm coming around. <laughs> I'll park a couple of streets away and get around to your house just in case there's anything I can do to yeah. help out. And also, you know, if there's something, someone out there, you kind of want to make sure they're okay as well. Yeah. So, and, and, and like you say, I mean, we've we've just seen these horrific, horrific um, you know, stories that come out of the United States. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, having those, particularly in the last few weeks that we've seen so many of them as well, that, that really adds to the anxiety, doesn't it? Oh, hugely. Yeah. Hugely. I mean, like I was... You know, just messaging people at work. I said, look, I, I gave, you know, my, my work colleague a quick call on Teams and said, look, I'm sorry, I've got to go. This has happened. And she's mm. like, absolutely, just go. I, yeah. I mean, I instantly flashed everything that's that we've just seen. And, and then uh, also, too, and, and seeing how quickly rumours can spread, particularly, I, I guess, Bad what happens, stage. too, and, you know, and, and then plus the, the extra bits that come in, you know, with, you know, when you get two dead on the end. Oh, I mean, what was that? Oh. 
I even he's come home tonight and I've questioned him about that and even my daughter's saying, You you should why did you put that dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, but he said it was interesting hearing what happened. It sounds like all the schools just, you know, dealt with it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, you know, they were all at morning tea time and all the, the outside and milling about and all the teachers had to come running outside yelling at them, there's a shooter going into lockdown, run to your third class now. And so they just all took off lockdown. My daughter said they were huddled behind their desks and pulled all the blinds down. And she said the only updates they were getting was the kids just jumping on social media and getting all the gossip. And that was freaking them all out. And then they were spreading it around. The teachers were saying... Don't go on social media. You're fine. It's yeah. all under control. Don't. So the school did great. And they did put out communications to try and stop the the fuel of social media. But, man, even I'm like once I'm, you know, at my in-laws, I'm on social media because yeah. there's no other news I can get. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, this happens. You, you've been through all that. It's, it's pretty horrible. You've got yourself a couple of blocks away. But it's not like yeah. you can just go charging in there just in case, no. just in case there is a government. So <laughs> at, at, at what point did you realise that everyone was okay? Well, I mean, I could see the police in the street down just across the road. So I knew there was something going on. But we... We just stayed inside across the road. It was when the bells stopped ringing, <laughs> and you suddenly thought, "Oh, thank goodness, <laughs> the bells have stopped ringing." Yeah. But the the rumours on on social media were still flying, flying, and the kids, of course, were really good. They kind of kept every so often just saying, uh, "You know, no, nah, we're safe." Right. Every so often, "Nope, we're safe." So that that was really, really, really good. And then. Yeah, there were a lot of parents, I think, that had arrived as well, thinking they might have to pick kids up and what's going on. And mm. Yeah, but no, once the bells turned off, you're like, yes. <laughs> it was all right then. Well, look, Michelle, I mean, like, how, what a horrible afternoon for you. I'm so sorry that you and your family went through that morning in Arvo, but, um, oh, but you yeah. know, I, I, mean, I guess it is one of those things where you're so, so pleased to have them home after that's happened. It's great to hear that the school handled it well as well, and I guess it's that, mm-hmm. isn't it nice that it isn't one of those American situations oh. that we've seen where, you know, where they don't they don't get this this sort of ending. Yeah, no, absolutely, and like that's what my kids said, and that's what my, me and my husband both said. Wow, now we had a taste of what those poor families went through in the States and just the whole waiting mm. to know if your kids are safe. You just, you feel sick. You feel sick. So, yeah, very, very lucky. I don't know the outcome of the story. I don't know what's happened in the neighbourhood. <laughs> but kids are all safe and the schools dealt with it incredibly well, all the local schools. So, yeah, no. Nah. They're in safe hands at the schools from the sounds of it, which is really one great takeaway. Michelle Robson there, who has uh, two children at Takapuna Grammar. And, yeah, I mean, fantastic work by, by the staff uh, to, you know, go and look after the kids instantly until they knew that uh, safe things had happened. And it was an interesting case, too. Um, my children go to school on a North Shore school, and they also were receiving messages in the, you know, that there was this news that apparently two were dead uh, was sort of the rumour they're going around. However, luckily, apparently, they checked it around other news sources and went, well, we can't see it anywhere. Um, so they were, uh, yeah, I guess just hoping that everyone at Takapuna uh, was fine. So look, um, what a uh, what a morning it's been, uh, what a 24 hours it's been in politics there. I asked you for the best of British or the worst of British. Angela says, best of British literature, worst of British is the class system and black pudding. Carl says, uh, R.E. Boris, isn't it great the British are discovering how difficult it is to get rid of British rule?
There we are. Thank you, Carl. And thank you very much uh, for your patronage this morning here at First Up. Uh, Morning Report is next with Susie and Corin. Uh, From all of us here, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Make sure to clean out your guttering. Uh, I hope that all the street sweeping has been done near where you are. And also, too, thanks very much to Rangi, who's been uh, stepped up the last couple of years. He's had to put in an extra week for us uh, from a positive COVID test with someone else. But he's put in the hard work. Thank you very much, Rangi. And uh, we'll be back in your ears on Monday morning.